On November 15, 2017, both spectators and bidders crammed into Christie's auction house in New York City. One lucky winner would take home Salvatore Mundi, a long-lost painting by Leonardo da Vinci. The piece was a portrait of Jesus Christ. He was depicted with one hand raised for a blessing and the other holding a glass-like orb. Christie's claimed it had previously belonged to three kings of England and described it as the male Mona Lisa. Once buyers settled in, auctioneer Yussi Polkanen announced the starting bid, $70 million. Representatives in tailored suits whispered into telephones, checking to see if their clients wanted to make an offer. So many clambered for the art, Polkanen could barely keep up. $95 million, 110, $120. Polkanen's head swiveled left and right as everyone named their price. When the bids reached $180 million, the crowd gasped. Salvatore Mundi had just set a record. This was the highest bid any piece of art had received at auction. Spectators pulled out their phones, eager to document the occasion. But they'd be recording for a while, because the auction wasn't over yet. Bids flew. The price swelled to $280 million, then $300 million. Moments later, the painting was finally sold. At what would be $450 million with fees, Salvatore Mundi had a buyer. But Christie's didn't immediately reveal the identity of the winner, which left many wondering who they were and what could possibly make the piece worth so much. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. This season on Unexplained Mysteries, we'll be investigating the biggest mysteries in the art world. We'll look at the most notorious paintings on the planet and unpack the secrets surrounding them. Today, we're examining the most expensive painting ever sold, Leonardo da Vinci's Salvatore Mundi. When Christie's auctioned the piece in 2017, it sold for a record-breaking $450 million. But questions have surfaced about its authenticity, the identity of the winning bidder, and his motives. So we're asking, what determines the price of art? And how is the market manipulated? We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? 
forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In 2005, Basil Hendry Jr. led a tour of his late father's Louisiana home. Hendry's dad had left behind an art collection, and his son wanted an expert from Christie's auction house to see if it included anything of value. As Hendry and the Christie's rep climbed a wooden staircase, Hendry pointed to a 26 by 18 inch oil painting of Jesus in a gilded frame. It was one of his dad's most prized possessions, but the Christie's representative barely glanced at it before declaring it wasn't for her. Since the firm wasn't interested, Hendry sent the painting to a local auction house in New Orleans. The business listed the piece online for $1,175 and claimed it was a copy of a lost painting by Leonardo da Vinci. The gallery called the piece Christ Salvatore Mundi, which translated to Savior of the World. A thousand miles away in New York City, art dealer Alexander Parrish saw an image of Salvatore Mundi on his computer. He didn't usually like religious paintings, but something about this one intrigued him. In the documentary, The Lost Leonardo, Parrish described himself as a sleeper hunter. He browsed auctions in search of bargains, and Parrish thought Salvatore Mundi might be a hidden gem. So he got his friend and fellow New York art dealer, Robert Simon, to help pay for the painting. Days later, the piece arrived in Manhattan with little fanfare. It was delivered by UPS in a cardboard box. Parrish slid the painting out and immediately noticed two things. Given his experience with fine art, Parrish could tell the piece was hundreds of years old. And it had undergone extensive restoration. Parrish and Simon would have to undo the restorations to learn about the piece's origin. So the dealers put the painting in a black garbage bag and walked it down the street to conservationist Diane Modestini. Using solvents, mineral spirits, and cotton balls, Modestini gently peeled off the layers of retouching. Soon she revealed the original work that lay hidden under all the paint. The piece had been described as having a haunting, ethereal quality. Jesus faces the viewer head-on, his gaze soft but ever fixed on the space in front of him. There's virtually no detail from the background, just a pitch-black darkness flanking the figure on all sides. It almost feels as if Jesus is emerging out of that shapeless space, lit by some unseen source. The only point of sharp focus is Jesus' raised right hand, the first two fingers extended for a blessing. The stark detail of the hand stands out against the softness of the rest of the figure. And the effect gives the painting even more depth, as if Jesus is reaching out of the painting toward the viewer. It's a striking masterwork, and it's clear the original artist toiled over it. During her restoration, Modestini noticed Jesus' right thumb had initially been painted in a slightly different position. When early strokes are painted over, it's known as pentimento. The term translates to repentance in Italian and signifies the change of heart an artist may experience while painting. 
but it's rare for copyists to make such changes. Usually, modifications to the initial image are made by the original painter. The Pentimento made Modestini consider whether the piece wasn't a copy, but perhaps an original by da Vinci himself. However, she needed more proof before she could make such a bold declaration. Modestini may have found said proof when she noticed that there was no line to delineate Salvatore Mundi's upper lip from the skin beneath the nose. The transition was seamless, just like in another famous da Vinci painting, the Mona Lisa. Modestini was convinced the piece had been done by the master himself. She rushed to tell the painting's owners, but the conservationists' opinion wasn't enough for Parrish and Simon to believe they'd gotten their hands on a long-lost da Vinci. Up to that point, only about 15 paintings by the artist had ever been authenticated. So the dealers were skeptical that they'd somehow stumbled upon a new one. Or, as Parrish said, quote, to say I have found a picture like this is akin to saying, you know, I had a spaceship on my lawn last night and I saw some unicorns. It's just so far-fetched. Simon tried to determine the painting's origin by researching its provenance, the term for a piece's history of ownership. In ideal circumstances, provenance can be traced all the way back to when the work was created in the artist's studio. By citing provenance, sellers can verify a piece's authenticity. But if they can't determine the painting's history of ownership, prospective buyers tend to grow doubtful and move on. For example, if I try to sell you a Picasso for a million dollars, you'd likely want proof the painting is an authentic work by the artist. I would show you a receipt that I bought the painting from a Spanish collector, and another indicating the collector bought the painting directly from Picasso's studio. That history of ownership connects the piece to the artist. It means you can be confident the painting is authentic. Without that documentation, you have no assurance the work is real. For all you know, I could have forged it. In the case of Salvatore Mundi, Simon traced its chain of ownership going back to 1900. At the time, it was sold at a London auction and attributed to an Italian painter who'd studied da Vinci's methods. But later in the 20th century, art historians credited the piece to a different Italian artist, one of da Vinci's assistants in his workshop. Simon struggled to find a continuous provenance beyond that. While searching the British archives, he saw it likely belonged to King Charles I and Charles II in the 17th century. But that left more than a 200-year gap in the painting's chain of ownership between Charles II's reign and its sale in 1900. Plus, Salvatore Mundi didn't have the royal seal on its backside, as was customary of pieces owned by British kings and queens, which left Simon with a murky provenance. Identifying a painting's history of ownership is a common problem in the art world. Provenance is especially hard to track for pieces that are hundreds of years old. Over time, records can get lost, if they were even kept to begin with. So when a painting doesn't have provenance, the next best way to prove its authenticity is through judgment by eye. That's when experts are asked to inspect the piece and give their opinions. So Simon had to find an appropriate assessor, 
And luckily, London's prestigious National Gallery was organizing an upcoming exhibition on da Vinci. So, Simon reached out to its curator, Luke Sison, to see if he'd examine the painting and possibly display it at his museum. In the documentary, Savior for Sale, the curator said he inspected the paint. He immediately recognized, quote, there was something very extraordinary about its presence, about the way it communicated across a room. Sison believed he might be looking at a real da Vinci. But the curator's gut feeling wasn't enough to authenticate the work. After all, there hadn't been a new da Vinci painting discovered in over 100 years. If Sison was wrong, he'd tarnish his reputation and the legitimacy of his museum. To be more certain, Simon and Sison organized a meeting at the National Gallery featuring the world's top da Vinci experts. They could only attribute Salvatore Mundi to the renowned artist if the scholars concluded the piece was done by the hand of the master. That's the term for a painting that was entirely done by da Vinci himself. Alternatively, the experts could conclude da Vinci worked on some of the piece or supervised a student working on it, but didn't paint it all himself. In that case, the painting would be labeled from the workshop of Leonardo. And if da Vinci was even further removed from the painting's creative process, the piece would be deemed from circle of Leonardo or follower of Leonardo. These distinctions could affect the value of a piece by hundreds of millions of dollars. If the painting was by a follower of a follower of Leonardo, then it was worth about the $1,175 Simon and Parrish paid for it. But if the experts determined the piece was indeed by the hand of the master, its owners had hit the jackpot. Coming up... Da Vinci scholars investigate Salvatore Mundi's mysterious origins. What could be more shocking than uncovering the dark secrets behind history's biggest stories? Realizing that everything you thought was true was a lie. Hi, it's Molly from the Parkhouse series Conspiracy Theories. Each week, we take a closer look at the blurred line between fact and fiction revealing that there may be more to the so-called truth than you think. The rise and fall of J. Edgar Hoover, 75 years of Roswell, the tragic death of Princess Diana. On Conspiracy Theories, we leave no stone unturned and no skeptic unheard. Some may be just outlandish claims. Others may make you rethink everything. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast Conspiracy Theories, Listen free, only on Spotify. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now, back to the story. On May 18th, 2009, five of the world's top da Vinci experts met in London's National Gallery's Painting Conservation Lab. The group included a couple of scholars from Italy and the United States, and one from the United Kingdom. 
Because the summit wasn't recorded and no formal vote was taken, the only information we have about this meeting is based on what its participants said in subsequent interviews. But National Gallery curator Luke Sison and the Da Vinci experts left with slightly different accounts of the group's verdict. The visiting scholars insisted they never authenticated the painting. One of the Italians, Maria Teresa Friorio, looked closely at the bottom section of the piece, which was the best conserved part of Salvator Mundi. Here, Jesus' left hand gently clutches a clear crystal orb. The Italian expert thought the damage and extensive conservation made it too hard to determine whether the piece was by the hand of the master. Fiorio concluded the piece could be an authentic da Vinci, but she stopped short of declaring it one. Meanwhile, Oxford scholar Martin Kemp inspected the painting with his magnifying glass. Like conservationist Diane Modestini, Kemp noticed the similarity between the lips on Salvatore Mundi and da Vinci's Mona Lisa. The British scholar also felt a unique aura around the painting. When interviewed for the documentary, Savior for Sale, da Vinci's lost masterpiece, Kemp said, quote, Special pictures have that presence, and it's one reason why Leonardo da Vinci is so incredibly famous, because you don't need to know about art history to sense this vibration. Kemp had previously seen authentic sketches by da Vinci that outlined parts of Salvatore Mundi. Based on those documents and his own analysis, he was confident the painting was by the hand of the master. At the end of the summit, the experts couldn't come to a consensus. Of the five scholars, one was doubtful and three, including Fiorio, didn't take a position. Camp was the only one who ultimately supported Salvatore Mundi's authenticity. Despite the lack of consensus, Kemp's validation and the other experts' openness to the possibility that the painting might be a true da Vinci seemed good enough for Sison. The curator came away from the meeting believing the painting's connection to the master artist had been confirmed. Of course, he may have only believed what he wanted to. Sison, the National Gallery, and the owners of Salvatore Mundi had a lot to gain from authenticating the painting, even if they weren't relying on a definitive consensus. As a curator, Sison could credit himself with securing a long-lost da Vinci for his museum. Of course, the National Gallery could sell many more tickets by displaying a never-before-seen piece by one of the most iconic artists of all time. And the owners, Robert Parrish and David Simon, now had artwork that could sell for tens of millions of dollars. Simply put, there was a lot of money riding on Salvatore Mundi. Sure enough, on a chilly London morning in November 2011, a long line of museum-goers snaked outside the National Gallery for the opening day of its Da Vinci exhibition. Inside, Salvatore Mundi hung beside a title card, attributing the piece solely to Leonardo da Vinci. There was so much demand to see the long-lost painting, tickets to the National Gallery were listed on eBay for 400 pounds. Inside the museum, people jostled to get close to the piece and take in its mystique. Little about the work had changed since it sold for $1,175 just a few years prior. But 
Since its attribution to da Vinci, the piece was suddenly perceived as a work of genius. The painting was a link to a different era, the ability to see through the lens of an iconic Renaissance man. Overnight, the painting became one of the world's most coveted works of art. Institutions and billionaires were interested in purchasing it. Buyers saw Salvatore Mundi not only as a mesmerizing piece of art, but as a prized financial asset. For wealthy individuals, a painting isn't just something pretty to look at. It's often a way to diversify one's portfolio. After all, the value of art isn't tethered to the same forces that affect the stock market or real estate prices. For example, rising interest rates might cool off the housing market, but they might not change the price of a rare da Vinci. So billionaires hedge their bets by investing in fine art. But the economics of art are murky. When a collector buys a piece, they're not just covering the cost of the canvas and its paint. They're paying for the artwork's perceived value. Even though buyers and sellers generally agree on what makes a piece valuable, their criteria tends to be subjective. For instance, one of the factors that affects a painting's perception is its provenance. In the case of Salvatore Mundi, the painting was previously owned by British royalty. That link makes the piece more valuable than if it had simply been in the possession of an average Joe. But individual buyers may have different opinions on just how valuable that royal connection is. The painting's ties to the monarchy are likely worth more to a British collector than an American one. The subjective nature of art prices makes them easy to influence. In some cases, price manipulation can be a good thing. The more expensive a painting is, the more likely its owner is to take good care of it. A piece that sells for $1 million has a better chance of standing the test of time than one sold for just $1,000. But price manipulation in the art world is often exploited by sellers, especially galleries. Often when you walk into a fine art gallery, there's a good chance you won't see prices listed beside their paintings. In fact, unlike stocks or houses, an artwork's price tag isn't always publicly available. On one hand, this can be a way of respecting artists. It keeps the focus on their work. But the lack of transparency can put first-time buyers at a disadvantage. If someone isn't familiar with the market, they may end up overpaying for a piece. Plus, the secretive nature of art prices can lead to discrimination. If multiple buyers are interested in a piece, an art dealer can offer a special quote to one collector and discourage others by significantly upcharging them. And dealers aren't the only parties who benefit. Collectors in the secondary market also take advantage of the industry's lack of transparency. Typically, artwork is either resold privately by art dealers or publicly by auction houses. At first glance, auctions may seem to be more transparent. After all, the prices are publicly disclosed. But with the help of representatives, bidders can participate in auctions anonymously. Withholding one's identity can protect a buyer. If the public knows who owns an especially expensive work, it might make the purchaser a target for burglars. Additionally, incognito customers can dramatically increase art prices. 
Unidentified buyers can bid freely without having to worry about being publicly judged for their lavish spending. That's why auctions often end with a piece selling for a much higher price than the experts believe it's worth. A painting's value can be as arbitrary as what someone is willing to pay or overpay. This proved to be especially true when it came to Salvatore Mundi. In 2013, Russian billionaire Dmitry Rybolovyev saw a photo of the da Vinci and instantly fell in love with the painting. So he enlisted his art dealer, Yves Bouvier, to help him acquire the piece. The dealer managed to negotiate Salvatore Mundi's price to between 75 and 80 million dollars, but he kept that a secret from Rybolovyev. Bouvier purchased the piece for himself. Then, he sold the painting to his client for $127.5 million. Thanks to a lack of transparency in the art world, the buyer didn't know he'd been upcharged by his own dealer. Rybolovyev was happy to purchase the painting for what he thought was the best price possible, which supposedly Bouvier had secured for him. When the billionaire eventually found out the truth, he couldn't bear to look at Salvatore Mundi anymore. So in 2017, Rybolovyev commissioned Christie's to sell multiple paintings he'd purchased through Bouvier, including the da Vinci. With tens of millions of dollars in commission at stake, the firm was ready to boost the painting's value by any means possible. Coming up, an unknown bidder buys Salvatore Mundi for a record-breaking price. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Now back to the story. In 2017, Russian billionaire Dmitry Rybolovyev tasked Christie's auction house with selling Salvador Mundi. Depending on how the price fared at auction, the firm stood to make tens of millions of dollars in commission. Christie's knew the painting's sale price depended on how people perceived the work. So the auction house did what it could to hype the piece. The firm marketed Salvador Mundi as the male Mona Lisa. By establishing a link to such an iconic painting, Christie's was justifying the hundreds of millions of dollars they hoped to fetch. As art writer Alexandra Bregman pointed out, the Mona Lisa is insured for over $800 million. But the auction house wasn't just making a financial connection. They were hoping Salvatore Mundi would carry the same social cachet as the Mona Lisa. Then... Christie's placed the Salvatore Mundi on display. People from across the globe lined up to see the new Da Vinci. Inside the venue, Christie's presented Salvatore Mundi in a dark chamber that mimicked the black background of the work itself. Jesus's placid face greeted visitors as they walked into the quiet room, his visage illuminated by a single spotlight against the dark. In a stroke of marketing genius, Christie's installed a camera in the darkened gallery and filmed individuals' reactions for a promo video. 
The final clip included people looking at the painting in awe, some with tears streaming down their faces. As Christie's released an onslaught of marketing material, interest in the painting soared. Christie's struck while the iron was hot, listing Salvatore Mundi in an auction for post-war and contemporary art. It was an unconventional move, considering the Da Vinci is hundreds of years older than the other works on display. But the grouping was intentional. Contemporary art sales in New York were some of the most lucrative auctions in the world. By including Salvatore Mundi alongside those pieces, Christie's was targeting the wealthiest buyers in the art market. The firm was also avoiding collectors of classic art who tended to be more discerning. They'd be more likely to question Salvatore Mundi's authenticity and bid less for it. As the auction approached, Christie's received calls from some of the richest people on the planet. But according to investigative journalist Bradley Hope, one interested buyer was a man the auction house hadn't heard of. To ensure the individual was a genuine bidder, Christie said he'd only be allowed to participate on the condition he wired 10% of his maximum offer before the auction. By the next morning, Christie's received a $100 million payment. Whoever this mysterious buyer was, he had sufficient funds, and that was good enough for the auction house. On November 15, 2017, it was finally time for the painting to go on sale. Auctioneer Yussi Pulkanen took his position behind a lectern at Christie's headquarters in Midtown Manhattan. On either side of him were two auction blocks filled with bidders. As Pulkanen welcomed the crowd, the staff brought extra chairs to the packed room. The attendees were ready to witness history. Bidding began at $70 million. Representatives whispered into phones, then called out their offers. Within minutes, Salvatore Mundi's price swelled to more than $180 million, the highest bid ever received at an art auction. As the painting's value soared past $200, then $300 million, the auction narrowed down to two bidders. One added a few million in any given bid, while the other would sometimes increase his offers by 10 million or more at a time. When Salvatore Mundi reached $370 million, one of the representatives discreetly raised his palm over his mouth, then whispered into the phone connecting him to his client. With his hand in the way, it was impossible to read the representative's lips. But he didn't keep the crowd guessing for too long. A moment later, the representative called out a new offer. $400 million. The auctioneer repeated the staggering number. Nobody was willing to top that. After 19 minutes of frantic bidding, Salvatore Mundi had finally sold. With the $50 million in commissions for Christie's, the selling price totaled a whopping $450 million. Barely a decade earlier, a New Orleans auction house had sold the same piece for just $1,175. Christie's managed to sell it for more than 38,000 times that amount. As Poole Cannon smacked his hammer to close the auction, art aficionados around the world had one question on their mind. Who was the new owner of the lost Da Vinci? 
But Christie's wouldn't comment on the buyer's identity. As we mentioned earlier, secrecy is at the center of many art deals. Anonymity ensures collectors feel comfortable making extraordinary offers. Since the auction house didn't provide any intel, the art world came up with its own theories. Some guessed the winning bidder was Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. With a net worth of around $95 billion at the time, he would close out 2017 as one of the richest men in the world. In the days leading up to Christie's auction, Bezos had sold a billion dollars worth of his Amazon shares without disclosing his purpose for doing so. Perhaps he was liquidating some of his stock so he could buy Salvatore Mundi. Others thought the hefty price wasn't paid by an individual, but by a country, one with deep pockets. They pointed to China. For years, headlines had documented China's desire to be a global leader in multiple fields, especially the arts. Owning Salvatore Mundi could go a long way to achieving that. But the buyer's identity was soon discovered by the New York Times' David D. Kirkpatrick. Less than a month after the auction, the journalist concluded that the winning bidder was an individual, but he'd bought the painting on behalf of a country. On paper, the mystery buyer appeared to be Prince Badr bin Abdullah bin Mohammed bin Farhan al Saud. He was a relatively low-profile member of the Saudi royal family and wasn't known to collect art. Records showed Prince Badr had bought the piece, quote, on behalf of the Department of Culture and Tourism, Abu Dhabi. But according to Kirkpatrick's investigative reporting, Prince Badr was likely acting as an agent for the painting's true buyer, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. Prince Mohammed had a penchant for lavish purchases, including a 440-foot yacht he'd bought for half a billion dollars and a French chateau he'd secured for $300 million. Although financial experts haven't been able to pinpoint Prince Mohammed's individual net worth, his family's wealth has been estimated to be as high as $1.4 trillion. But even though Prince Mohammed could easily afford Salvador Mundi for $450 million, experts debated why he was so drawn to the painting. After all, the piece was offensive to a huge portion of Saudi Arabia's population, religious Muslims. Unlike Christianity, Islam teaches Jesus was not the savior, but a prophet. Many Muslims, including Saudi clerics, believe it's blasphemous to artistically portray any of the prophets. But Prince Mohammed had repeatedly declared his intention to modernize Saudi Arabia and turn the Middle East into the new Europe. The same year he purchased Salvatore Mundi, the prince announced Vision 2030. The initiative centered around social and economic reforms, transforming Saudi Arabia from an oil state to a cultural capital of the world. Prince Mohammed may have also hoped Saudi Arabia's emergence as a cultural superpower could help him politically. By hosting great works of art, the leader could distract people from his brutal record of forcefully silencing critics. The prince's brand as a reformer grew especially complicated after he allegedly ordered the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi in 2018. 
Owning the Da Vinci painting would help reposition the region as a modern cultural center like Paris or New York. In fact, just weeks after Prince Mohammed bought the piece, an exhibition was planned in the United Arab Emirates, whose crown prince was a close ally of Prince Mohammed. The recently opened branch of the Louvre Museum in Abu Dhabi said it expected to receive the painting. But nearly a year after the Christie's auction, the public had yet to see the Da Vinci. On September 3, 2018, the Louvre Abu Dhabi indefinitely postponed its exhibition of Salvatore Mundi. The museum didn't give any explanation for the delay. But around that time, the Saudis quietly loaned the piece to France, which was becoming an increasingly close ally. As it turned out, the Louvre was preparing an exhibition to commemorate the 500th anniversary of da Vinci's death. But if the institution was going to hang Salvatore Mundi on its walls, museum officials wanted to settle any lingering questions about the piece's authenticity once and for all. Unlike London's National Gallery, the Paris institution wouldn't risk its credibility without concrete evidence. The museum hired French scientists to analyze the painting's authenticity with state-of-the-art forensic technology. The experts used fluorescent X-rays, infrared scans, and high-powered microscopes to compare Salvatore Mundi to other da Vinci pieces in the Louvre's collection. There's been much debate about what they found. But when the da Vinci exhibition finally opened at the Louvre in 2019, there was one piece missing, Salvatore Mundi. It was supposed to hang in the final room, the most coveted location in any exhibition. But in its place were three picture hooks on an empty wall. Clearly, there'd been a last-minute change. According to documentarian Antoine Vitkin, French officials had determined Salvador Mundi was most likely by the workshop of Leonardo, not entirely by the hand of the master. As a result, the Louvre refused to cite the painting as an authentic da Vinci. In turn, the Saudis are thought to have taken the painting back, possibly in an effort to save face. If the piece's authenticity was challenged in the Louvre exhibit, the Saudi prince would have been exposed for paying $450 million for a work da Vinci merely contributed to. But investigative reporting by the New York Times reached a different conclusion. Journalists at the Times obtained a confidential French report that confirmed da Vinci was the only one who worked on Salvatore Mundi. Experts had found the fine powdered glass in the paint was consistent with material the artist used in his later years. Plus, Salvatore Mundi was painted on the same kind of wood da Vinci had used for his other paintings, and the piece's composition mirrored his other authentic works. According to the Times report, the Louvre didn't display Salvatore Mundi because its owner, the Saudi Culture Ministry, only agreed to loan the piece if it was hung beside the Mona Lisa. But the French balked at the request. The Mona Lisa was arguably the most famous painting at the Louvre. It was prominently displayed in the museum's first floor gallery, where it was visited by 30,000 people every day. Officials didn't want it siloed within the Da Vinci exhibition, where it would be harder to view. Since the Louvre declined to fulfill their request, the Saudis refused to lend Salvador Mundi. 
but not before the museum had already produced a glossy 46-page book summarizing the forensic investigation done on the painting. At least one patron managed to get their hands on a copy before the Louvre took the book out of circulation. However, some experts have questioned the accuracy and authenticity of this second scientific examination. As of June 2022, the piece has not been publicly seen since its auction. But according to the Wall Street Journal, Prince Mohammed hung Salvatore Mundi in his yacht, at least until late 2020. At that point, the boat had to undergo maintenance and the painting was relocated to a storage facility in Saudi Arabia. The piece's exact location remains a mystery to everyone but its owners. It seems only a matter of time before the Da Vinci piece is on display again. As part of a multi-billion dollar effort to modernize Saudi Arabia, the country's museum's commission announced that it was considering the construction of a museum of Western art, where it could hang Salvatore Mundi. Although the museum's opening date is unclear, Prince Bader's recent purchases indicate the Saudis want to be taken seriously in the art world. In addition to the Da Vinci piece, Bader has been the winning bidder for paintings from other iconic artists, including Pablo Picasso, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and Yayoi Kusama. When the public can finally view Salvatore Mundi again, they'll be seeing it with a new perspective. The work is no longer just a Da Vinci piece with questionable authenticity. Headlines about the painting now lead with its $450 million price tag. It doesn't seem to matter anymore if the painting is actually from the hand of the master. The piece is now defined by the spectacle of its record-high value. For the time being, art aficionados continue to debate Salvatore Mundi's provenance. But if the piece ever goes on display again, droves of people will likely still pay the price of admission to see the painting. At least, that's what Prince Mohammed is banking on. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Dick Schroeder with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ben Hanani, edited by Georgia Hampton and Angela Jorgensen, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Katovich. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>